Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beats his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three things. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. We are back. We were off for a week. Yep. Which, thanks to all the people that hit us up, they're like, where are you? Did you get canceled already? Like, like, I think they were kind of like anxiously hoping they could troll me after saying, oh, did you guys get canceled already? We didn't get canceled. Lots of upgrades. In case you can't tell, totally different look to the show. Not really, but it was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't know about. Uh, Brady's filling in for, uh, Raja today, which is great because we're going to do a ton of football, ton of NFL. Before we get to some of the meat, we just had a little bit of a disagreement. You think Rondo connected with Chris Paul in that fight between the Lakers and uh, Rockets? There's no doubt he connected. And here's the thing. You think it was like a solid connect? For a jab? Yeah, I thought it was a good connect. If you watch the extension, he even snaps it off at the end like you're supposed to. From the one view, I think it looks like he really clocked him. Yeah. Then when you go from the high angle, it looks like he had a glancing blow on him, a little bit more of a glancing blow. Here's the deal. And and if you've boxed, you kind of realize this. If you could just snap it off at the end, it doesn't have to feel like much. That's a lot <laughs> right. of power on that. That's your jaw a little and bit. Ultimately, it's good for the NBA because we usually never actually see anyone connect. So actually, True. It's, it's usually pillow fights. Absolutely. But not in this case. Right. Like, he actually connected with someone. Uh, and beyond that, I, I just, I feel like you need these kind of rivalries. Like you need this kind of stuff early in a season. Absolutely. To help draw out the storylines. Definitely. And if you spit on my face, we're throwing blows. Like we're going, oh, we're throwing. Yeah. Like there's a lot, you can say anything you want, but if you spit, you have to fight. Oh, Raja spit on your face one time in here. He might have. He does, sometimes he does like to do that. It was inadvertent though, right? It was just, yeah. he got a heated. Let, let's hope so. All right. Let's do the Chiefs because the Chiefs looked and they have looked all season long just like a next level team. And I feel they are separating themselves and they have seen yeah. the Patriots and the Chiefs at the top. Can they sustain this offense with Patrick Mahomes? I think they can. They've showed it for this long where I'm starting to say, because I, I keep going back to last year and being like, hey, you know what? Alex Smith looked pretty good the first five or six games, and then everybody adjusted to the uh, to the offensive schemes, and they kind of came back to reality. That's where I think Andy Reid finally has his guy in Patrick Mahomes where there's just so much to account for that you literally can't. That's part of it. I think all the weapons they have and the way they play, I think it's the fact that Andy Reid's probably got this gigantic playbook <laughs> where, we, where we've seen like him use this portion, and then there's a like, whole other portion that he can use with Patrick Mahomes that maybe he couldn't use with Alex Smith. Um, so I think that's still to come. But also, I mean, look at some of the ways they're scoring. I mean, at one point last night, Patrick Mahomes dropped a shotgun snap, mm-hmm. picked it up off the ground, turned, looked out, and then threw a touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill. I mean, that, that's the sort of plays that are going on right now. They seem to be following up, but I don't think there's any doubt in my mind they can st- sustain this pace. My only concern is, ultimately, if you want to get to the Super Bowl, you're going to have to get through New England. And I don't know that you can make the sort of mistakes that Patrick Mahomes does sometimes, meaning when he forces footballs, we saw versus the Patriots in Foxborough, and then you see it from time to time, like last night, through a really bad interception into three defenders chasing Tyreek Hill, poorly underthrown football interception. It didn't matter last night because it's the Bengals in primetime. Yep. It will matter at some point, though. And that's my only concern for him moving forward is can he not – make those critical mistakes in a tight game where it's going to matter. I think that's part of the process, though, and that's the best part of it is hopefully every time he makes those mistakes, he learns from. Now you're still seeing, obviously, it's really his first full year starting. So now that you kind of see those reps, hopefully you start to eliminate those. The thing that I think makes them so tough is, yeah, they've got the playbook that they had with Alex Smith, and then they expanded a little bit with Andy with with Patrick Mahomes. 
It's the stuff that's not in the playbook. It's the off-the-cuff improvisational stuff that you see Aaron Rodgers do that just gives, gives defensive uh, coordinators fits and defenses fits because you can have everything accounted for. And then all of a sudden, if the quarterback rolls and it breaks down and you have a guy who can extend plays, who can also hurt you, and not only just extend plays and buy time to throw, but that could actually run a little yeah. bit. Like, I didn't know Mahomes had the type of speed that he's got because he doesn't, I don't know, when he walks around to me, he doesn't look that athletic. Like, <laughs> but then when he, there was a, there was a run against the, the Broncos where he ran it in for a touchdown. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know he had that extra gear where he can actually run and hurt you on the ground where I was like, man, I didn't know he had that level. Two things I remember from covering him in college was he's bigger than you think. Like when you look yeah. at him, he's got bigger, thicker legs, and he doesn't look very big on the field. But when you walk up next to him, you're like, oh, that's a pretty big guy. Like he could probably actually run someone over too. And then when you watch him move, he's a little more fluid. And this is the thing that stands out to me. As a quarterback, you don't have to be the fastest guy. You just have to be sudden. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch boxers all the time. You just have to be able to make someone miss and then all of a sudden take off. And if you're quick enough, you can, you can appear like you're fast. He's got a little bit of that. I, I also think it's a, a factor of Tyree Kill, his development as a wide receiver, but just how fast he is. I mean, you, there's fast guys in the NFL. He's arguably the fastest, or at least he plays that fast to the point where they can't cover him. It doesn't matter what kind of coverage you want to run on him. Eventually someone's going to fall out. And that's what you're seeing week after week after week. The versatility of Kareem Hunt, catching the football, running the football. Um, you saw him hurdle a guy last night. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's all of that. And then you put in Travis Kelsey, who's versatile in his own right. So to me, to your point, with being able to extend plays and then create and then have these other guys that – I mean, it's impossible to cover them. The, I just I get the sense that the offense isn't, isn't going to be what holds this team back. Right. It's going to potentially be the defense. Let me ask something, though, because I think we're seeing an era in the NFL with the new rules, with the schemes, the way everybody's taking advantage of things offensively. I think the era where you could win with a game manager, a quarterback, and a really good defense, I think those are gone. I think you're better off going with a high-flying offense and a defense that has limitations that you can overcome and you get in a shootout with a team like the Patriots, you better be able to go toe-to-toe with them. And I think there's some, because I think there are kind of four teams it's maybe five because I want to include my Vikings in this one. But you get the Rams and the Saints and the Vikings from the NFC, and you got the Chiefs and the Pats. I think there's something common in all of them that they have offenses that can take you to the next level. Now, I think what separates the Rams a little bit is the fact they actually play defense too. But I think if you want to win a Super Bowl, you have to have an offense that puts up prolific numbers that can put up a lot of points. In today's NFL, I don't think you can have somebody like Joe Flacco, like Dak Prescott, like, you know, like some of the teams that are kind of limited as far as passing game goes, I don't think you're going to be able to win that way. I think you can get there to the right. playoffs with this sort of offense. Right. I don't think that's what's winning you a Super Bowl, though. I think the defense is what's going to win you a Super Bowl because ultimately when the inclement weather comes, when it gets cold outside, when some of these things start to fall out, you've got to still be able to have a defense as your backbone, and that's why there's a cliche, defense wins championships. It, it's there for a reason. And as I much think as, I think but, that era but, but, but as much as we want to look at last year's Super Bowl yep. as the reason for, oh, like look at all the numbers. I mean, Tom Brady, it was historic passing what he did, and then even the Eagles with a backup quarterback. What was the play that ended up ending the game? Sack. Fumble. It was a sack fumble. And All it's right. always going to come down to that. Yeah. I th- you may be right. And I think, well, I think that's where we also have to reevaluate the way we judge defenses too. It's kind of like watching the Big 12 try to play defense in college football. Right. It's not going to be the total yards at the end of the game. It's going to be red zone. It's going to be third down and it's going to be turnovers. Yep. If you can succeed in those areas, you have a chance. You know who's probably not going to win the Super Bowl? Most likely. You never know. 
uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, much to our Look, boy, I feel Debo's like shade. Yeah, I have to because yeah. Debo's been saying all year, oh, they're going to be fine. I'm telling you that Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. 17-0, uh, they were up against the Panthers. Total collapse in the fourth quarter. Doug Peterson talked about it after the game. Whatever it is, you know, live up to a certain expectation. I think, I think that, you know, it's 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 that point where where you know I, I think that that no one has given us that type of you know maybe with the amount of injuries or, or whatever it whatever it is given us much credit you know uh, going into games and and I think sometimes we 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 force issues you know we uh, we try to press just a little bit instead of just you know we don't have to go searching for plays we just. When the plays come, we just make, let's just make the plays that come to us. Oh man, our boy Debo in there is throwing stuff around the control room, just ticked <laughs> off, wondering where. See, this is where I feel like Super Bowl teams, I think it's the hardest thing in sports is to repeat as champions because, and I think you see a prime example right there. Peterson's like, you know, we just got to relax. We will be fine. Uh, we don't have anything to worry about. We're not getting credit where we deserve. I don't think you have that sense of urgency that you have or that hunger that you have if you're not the team that was there. Like, that's why I feel like the Patriots are in a better spot this year because they want to prove to everybody, hey, last year was a fluke. We can win it again. And I think that's some of the problems because whether it was in the preseason and Nick Foles was out there getting killed and they were like, well, you know, it's preseason. We'll get whenever we get back early in the season. It was, well, we don't have Carson Wentz. That's why and then Carson Wentz is getting hit a bunch. He's getting sacked still. And then you just have a, a a game like this where you don't go for the dagger and you don't go for the jugular and you blow this to lead, and they're acting like, well, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. You need to start having a sense of urgency or else before you know it, you're not going to have a chance. The good news is in there in the, in the NFC East and they still have a chance because it's a garbage division right now. Uh, I would call it garbage. There's, mean, a little more, there's a little more competition. All right, all right so there's it's not the AFC East, but it's pretty bad. Right, 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 right. So I remember I took this class one time, all right, and the teacher said, "All right, you are going to start the start the school year with an A," mm-hmm. and everyone goes, "What? <laughs> all right, like I've already got an A, I can go tell my parents I've got an A." Yeah. I said, "Yeah, but here's the key: you have to try to keep that A throughout the rest of the year." And and the problem was, and what a lot of students end up finding out is to maintain that standard, that level at which you had to essentially be perfect, it was extremely difficult. It's a lot harder than actually earning that A. So what you kind of come to find out and how I draw a parallel is in the NFL, after you win a Super Bowl, it's really hard to maintain that level of standard of play to stay on top as opposed to earning it back up there again. And that's where I feel like the Eagles are right now. I, I just feel like their defense has not at any point in time this, this season played the way they did last year where you walked in there and you knew you're going to get hit four to five times a game, maybe sacked two to three, four times every single game if you're their quarterback. I don't feel like opponents feel that way any, anymore right now. I feel like they look at that secondary as vulnerable. And then you look at the way Carson Wentz has played. This is probably coming off one of his best statistical games. Yeah. But I don't think he was 100% healthy right away. I think he was still playing through some things, trying to knock off some of that rust. And now we're looking at an Eagles team that you know is still trying to find how they get to be the 2018 Eagles that could maybe win a Super Bowl and not the 2017 Super Bowl champs. Do you think they win the NFC East? Because the Redskins had the big win at home against the Cowboys. They're four and two. Do you think? Do you think the uh, the Eagles can win the division? Well, I, I wish I could give you a great prediction. I really thought the Giants this year would, would I turn things around. I did too. I, I I had the Giants winning the division. I, I, th- I thought they'd win it at like nine and seven, maybe right. eight and eight tiebreaker. Because right. I, I do think there's that much parity. But um, I I st- I'll say this: I don't think they're out. I think we're sleeping on Washington. 
I mean, Alex Smith plays a winning brand of football. They are really tough to run the football against up front. They're getting a better pass rush now. Their secondary has really come along. Like that team to me, it plays a winning brand. And I know it's like Alex Smith and to your earlier point, it's not like the flashy prolific numbers. Right. But that style to me, especially in that division, that's still going to win you a lot of football games. Yeah. I think, I think the Eagles are absolutely still on the hunt. I think it's, it's basically those two teams though, especially the Cowboys, the start they have. I'm not, I think it's such a huge year. The home road split for them is weird. Yeah. The way they play at home versus on the road is crazy. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Vikings. Are you buying my, my Minnesota Vikings, my Minnesota Vikings as a Super Bowl contender? Um, can I, can I, as a Super Bowl contender? Yes. But, but can I wait a week? Can I buy an option? You know, there's options. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Can I buy an option and wait till after <laughs> next week's game versus the Saints? Cause, cause I think that to me is going to be like a huge determination, you know, whether or not they've, they, they're still one of the top teams. Cause I do think the Saints over the last two or three weeks, have all of a sudden found like what they were last year where they feel like they had the Super Bowl robbed from them with the way things ended in Minnesota. I have a feeling that we're going to see, cause it's, it's home. It's prime time. This is an area historically where my guy Kirk Cousins has struggled, right? <laughs> and everybody will always say in the big moments, he doesn't come up big. And that's a, that's a, he gets crushed for that all the time. Is that fair though? Home, no, it's I always feel like he fair. gets put in a tough position. No, cause, and that's why I actually like him and defend him because I think he gets pegged as this game manager. I don't know why, because if you look at his stats, they're top 10 in almost every co- uh, category for the past three years. He's done it over time. I think he was on a bad team with the Redskins and he didn't have any weapons and that was why they struggled so much. It's weird though. Now they're at the top of the division that he's gone. I, mean, I know. I'm just saying that's the juxtaposition of when you're looking at Kirk Cousins and how he looks as the Vikings, or Vikings, which he does look great. Right. But it's like the Redskins are the top of their division right now. <laughs> that is where true. was that with Kirk Cousins? That is true, but we'll have to see. But I think this is a moment for him where I think he will face some scrutiny because he, but I, but see like in the game they lost or they tied with the Packers. I thought he went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers. Right. The game they lost to the Rams, I thought he went toe-to-toe with Jared Goff. It's not his fault that his defense couldn't get a stop when it was 38-31. Like, it's not on him. He he puts the numbers up. I think at some point you've got to start spreading the, the, the blame around the rest of the team when you look at some of those situations. Is it him or is it Adam Thielen? That's what? I mean, that's, he, the, that's running the show? <laughs> I mean, it is. Thielen's put up all phenomenal. these record-setting numbers. He can, how long can he go getting 100 yards a game? I, I, or at what, seven weeks straight? I think I had a prop bet last week saying he wasn't going to be able to do it. <laughs> and, and, and sure enough, he proved me. I, I was thinking, all right, head coach is Todd Bowles. He got to start as a secondaries coach. There's no way, who was a former defensive coordinator, there's no way he's going to let this guy come in here and catch another 100-yard game, nine receptions for 110 and a touchdown. He just does. I think it helps having Diggs on the other side because everybody's worried. Like, if you're going to pick your poison, like, who's going to beat me? I think you'd choose Thielen, and that's why he's getting so many numbers. So when I look back through the game, it's some of that. But, you know, the Jets really didn't match. I think John D. Filippo's not getting enough credit, their offensive coordinator in Minnesota, for how he's scheming things up. Like, he's putting Thielen in bunches and stacks, and so it's really hard at that point for a defense to be able to cover down on the guy because he's going to have a free release. He's going to have someone kind of screening for him to allow him to get open. So that's one of the things they're doing, but credit to Thielen, too. I mean, he does a bunch of different things. He can run a bunch of different routes in their offense, so that helps, too, is just really his versatility. You know who's an absolute mess right now? The Jacksonville Jaguars. You know who knows them better than anybody? Pete Our boy Pete Prisco. He's going to come up give us all the answers on what's going on inside that Jaguars locker room. That's coming up next on Off the Bench. Let's do it because we got to get our boy Pete Prisco in. He is expert all things Jacksonville. Yes, golf, nightlife, Jaguars. Food, yeah, food. That too. Uh, Pete, what's up, man? Good to see you this morning. What's up, fellas? 
All right, let's talk about your Jaguars. Three consecutive losses. They're Apparently not my was... Jaguars. <laughs> no, they're, they're, yeah, they're not now. Board. They were three weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. Three losses in a row. Happened. Your boy Bortles gets benched. There's scuffle in the locker room. What do you make of the mess? How does it get to this point? Well, they got about as much chance to win the Super Bowl as these lottery tickets do of winning, which is none because they're rotten from the other night, okay? They're not, they're not getting there. They're, they're a team right now in disarray. And it's, let's start with the quarterback. He's played awful football the last couple of weeks, but as you guys know, he's a quarterback that needs everything around him to go right to have success. Well, everything around him hasn't gone right. We'll start with the running back. He's played a half or so in this season. Major disappointment. They're down to the third string left tackle. Bad line. They're up tight end. Austin Safarian Jenkins, who actually was blocking very well, isn't much in the passing game. Not there. Marquise Lee, no longer there. So the offense is a mess. He can't handle it. He panics when he when things start going poorly. And on the other side of the ball, the defense, which is supposed to be generational. That's what they talked about. Nobody has taken their game to the next level. And it's kind of filtered over. You got infighting and you got locker room issues. It's a mess in Jacksonville. And you know what? You want to point the finger at somebody? Point it at that head coach. Well, I kind of figured you'd take a tough stance on the head coach. Maybe you should take a tougher stance on Bortles because he hasn't been great the entire season, regardless of what's out around him. I want to ask you about Jalen Ramsey. He was great he's... against the Patriots, Brady. What Patrick Mahomes was pretty great. Um, but 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 to, to to go back to talking about their defense, Jalen Ramsey, who's by far and away, I, I would say their best player. That's that's a compliment considering how stacked and how good that defense is, how good that team is. But even his level of play has gone down. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins kind of had his way when he wanted to in yesterday's game versus him. What's the deal with him? And I know he's been the most vocal, you know, talkative guy of anyone on the Jaguars. Well, I think for him and some of those other guys as well, AJ Boye and another other side, they don't. They need to play different coverages. I mean, they don't play enough press man. Now, they did yesterday. And by the way, Watson only had 150 yards passing. It wasn't like they torched him. Uh, I, I just think that their defense, you know, and you know, they play that off coverage all the time when they do line up a man. They don't play enough press man. They don't blitz. They rarely attack. They had one sack against an awful Texans offensive line, which last week gave up seven to Buffalo. I mean, something's off with that defense. They're not winning in one-on-one situations. And it's not just him. Miles Jack hasn't taken his game to the next level. Uh, Calais Campbell isn't playing as well. Now he's banged up. Malik Jackson hasn't uh, improved this season. He's gone backward. Uh, so I think across the board, everybody has regressed, and that's what you're seeing on defense. I was saying one of the issues, though, to me at least, Danny, was the fact that when you have you know two fumbles by Bortles and, and you get a short field, of, of course your stats aren't look great because you're always playing on a short field. I mean, you don't have to go right. 80 yards to go get a touchdown. That was one of the reasons to me why you know, it wasn't impressive stats-wise from Deshaun Watson, but at the end of the day, you were giving them short fields. So they all they have to do is just execute in those scenarios. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, when you look at Blake Bortles getting benched yesterday for Cody Kessler, are they going to make a move do you think pete or do they try to stick no. with bortles no they'll stick with bortles i mean they look cody kessler is who he is at least you know you're one game out of the division lead you go play the eagles this week in london and then you gotta buy it'd be foolish to make a change no bortles has to stay as the quarterback and by the way he's been very good when he plays in london for whatever reason uh in his career but i'd stick with him see what he does if he has a bad game then you decide what to do and then you got a trade deadline i mean can you go out and make a move if you're not, you know, if you rather than sit Bortles and play Kessler, maybe you go make a move. You go give up draft picks. Maybe try and pry away Eli Manning, or maybe do you sniff around Nick Foles? <laughs> you got to make the move. 
compete for Eli Manning? I mean, you're, you're trading for a guy who right now looks like he's, he, his career's over with. Like he's done and like the Giants made a poor decision not drafting a quarterback. Now, what the trade for Eli Manning? Look, where do you, where do you go? Where do you want you two to sign? I mean, where, uh, you know what? You I'll tell you this much. You, you know who I'd go after? Jacoby Brissett. I think Jacoby Brissett actually is a quarterback with the right piece that around him actually could play better than Bortles. From what I saw from him in New England, from what I saw from with the Colts, that would be a guy that I don't think... They're not going to give him up, and they're not going to trade him in the division. Why? The way Andrew Luck's playing right now? I think, I think. look, Luck looks healthy. He looks like he's back to his old self. I would try to offer something decent for Jacoby Brissett. I think that young man can play. Yeah, I think he can, too. It'd be fun to give him a good— They're not going to give up any—they're not going to trade him inside the division. That would be foolish. So then if he ends up being— For any price, Pete? Come on now. There's a price for that. You and I both know that. What price are you talking about, Brady? Second-round pick? Is that too high? I I don't know if I'd give up. Ah, uh, he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. I think every they would. I think everybody second. values picks too much. I think I think you're like oh second round, but I think if you go for the known every time, if you could float that and they yeah. do it, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, Pete, I don't like ever going back on my word, so I I am a fan of when coaches go for it. Uh, when they go for the win, when they go for it on fourth down, when they try to go to two points and go for a win, which Mike Frable has done a couple times this year. What did you think of his decision in a game 2019? They're in London. They had a chance uh, to to extend the game, go to overtime against the Chargers. Instead, Vrabel gets the penalty on the first attempt, then goes for it again, a couple of passes. What did you think of Vrabel's decision to go for two in the win uh, over in London against the Chargers? Terrible. Kick really? Yeah, he kick and go to overtime. He had the momentum. Bruce Arians said it best. He had the momentum in the second half. Why would you go for two? And, I mean, look, you know what's happening now? We've had too many guys who grew up, I'm sure you did too, Danny, playing Madden football. And, and all, everybody wants to go for two and go for it. And you go, look, I'm all for being aggressive. I don't mind that. I don't mind taking chances on fourth and inches and fourth and two and whatever across the, you know, across midfield. But be smart. Kick your extra point. Go to overtime. You had the momentum. You, you know, extend the game. If you don't get it, game's over. If you get it, is the game over? No, because they still had, what, 30 seconds and two or 25 seconds and two timeouts to go get whatever they want. I, bottom line is I don't like that decision at all. I'm one of those guys you kick there and you go to overtime, although, you know, maybe the Ravens should have gone for two after what happened with Justin Tucker. Well, come on. That's First time in his career? Interesting. I think it's interesting, though, that the, the extra point is longer, so it's not as much of a gimme as it used to be. My bigger problem was the play calling. Like, you're yeah. on the one-yard line. Why not give it to Derrick Henry? Instead, you're throwing it from there, and it's just a less. Well, or or at least give the option for Mario to have bounced run. it. He probably would have bounced it like he always does. <laughs> hey, hey, Pete, I want to ask you about the Cleveland Browns. My Brownies played in overtime again. They couldn't find a way of getting a win. Now head coach Hugh Jackson's talking about potentially Woo! taking over some of the offensive play calling. What do you make of that? Yeah, that can't be good. You know, Todd Haley, he's got an ego the size of the state of Ohio, and that, that, that's not going <laughs> to go well in the locker room. And uh, those two are going to be getting at each other, and you know that ultimately is going to lead to. It's going to be one has to go, and Hugh Jackson doesn't win a lot of football games. So say hello to your new head coach, Todd Haley. I mean, that's what's going to happen, right? I mean, if you got a, a head coach stepping in to take over the offense after what happened in Tampa and they don't win football games, I could see a change coming. And remember, John Dorsey. He did not hire you, Jackson. Here's a listen real quick. Hear what Hugh said when he threw his coordinator under the bus. This is pretty interesting. I'm not trying to create any uh, issue here, but I think if the offense is not playing well and we haven't over a period of time, being a head coach and an offensive guy who's done this, I think I have every right as a head coach to jump in here and see if I can help and assist and get this thing to where I think it needs to be. 
That was a guy who had one win in the previous two years without Todd Haley coaching that offense. The biggest loser in all of this, I think, is Baker Mayfield because he's going to get caught in the middle of this. Your rookie year is so important to your development. Pete, do you think Hugh Jackson survives the year? Uh, if they lose, you know, uh, uh, get on a little losing streak here, I don't know. Absolutely not. I think that just what I said would happen. I think they would replace him and make Todd Haley or, or Greg Williams the head coach. Here's another thing. Baker Mayfield, remember that after game and a half? Oh, he's going to the Hall of Fame. What a great pick. This guy, he's a can't miss. Boy, that sure has slowed, hasn't it? I mean, in the last couple of weeks, he's been average to below average. And, and you know, you can blame the coach. You can blame his receivers. You can blame whoever. But he's not playing great football right now. All right, good stuff from Pete. As always, thanks for getting up early for us, man. We appreciate it. See you, Pete. All right, fellas. See you, guys. All right, big college football weekend. We saw some shakeups. We're going to break it all down next on Off the Bench. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Danny Cannell, Rajah Bell, typically, but our boy Brady filling in uh, today. Rajah's back tomorrow. Hopefully you're checking us out on CBS Sports HQ. If you are and you ever miss us, make sure you go download us on iTunes or wherever you can find podcasts. And uh, subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. We'll get to that. Uh, Alabama, Tennessee cigar game. I don't even what the way they call it. The uh, whatever the name of it is it. They're smoking cigars, obviously, because Alabama had the big win. I don't think that was a surprise to anybody. What is? I don't know. At some point, it becomes like, whoa, this is really special because you see a guy. A lot of guys put up stats early in the season, but Tua Tagovailoa is now up to twenty-five touchdowns, zero interception. I think he's playing the position as flawlessly as you can play it. As far as decision making, distributing the football to all the talent, the one concern I have, and I think, oh, it's beautiful, like the throws that he makes, seventy percent of his passes. The one thing I think would be a little bit concerning, and I mean, you're looking, you're really nitpicking for this for Alabama. If you're Nick Saban, is how is he going to do in a pressure situation in the second half? Because he hasn't been tested at all. I, I got. Like a lot of people will get pushed back because I said on a game, you know, Dwayne Haskins, you could probably make a better case for right now as being the Heisman front runner. And the reason being was for that. We haven't seen Tua Tonga Vailoa tested. We haven't seen him have those second half or fourth quarter comebacks in the case of what Dwayne Haskins did versus TCU and Penn State. Now, a little bit different now that we saw them go on the road and lose versus Purdue. Yep. Um, so I don't think there's any doubt Tua's in that top spot and he's going to have those moments to prove himself. That game versus LSU is going to be one. The Iron Bowl is going to be another, as well as the SEC championship game. I think I would be more concerned if I'm Nick Saban and this scenario plays out. We haven't seen a team lose their in their conference championship game, and that being their one loss, and then make it in the college football playoff. Right. Like Because Alabama hasn't necessarily been tested, and maybe they're not going to be tested. Like The line for the LSU game 14. is already 14. <laughs> I mean, if they win by two touchdowns, I don't know that you can consider that a test. So what happens if they breeze through their schedule, and then they go into the SEC championship game and lay an egg because they haven't been tested, they haven't dealt with adversity, and then that's when they lose. I mean, do they still get in as one of the top four teams? Like, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind they're, they're one of the top four teams in the country. But at but, some point, you have to dock a team for a loss. And that's right. what drives me nuts, and Bama fans hate it when I say that because they're like, well, it's supposed to be the four best teams. Yes, at some point, but at some point, there has to be a penalty for losing. Last year, they didn't, it wasn't like, if we're supposed to value the regular season, yeah. and then you say the Iron Bowl doesn't matter, or you say the conference championship doesn't matter if you lose those games, here's the difference. And I know it isn't that long of a window, but I think, in my mind, I think it would be really hard for the committee to see a team that just lost and put them in the playoff. Yeah. But, but I think the narrative surrounding Bama is they're so good. They're so good. How can they not be a <laughs> they are team really good that right they now. might get that pass in there? But I think that's bad for college football. 
It'd be like if you went back and gave the Patriots when they were 18 and 0 and said, well, let's give them a second, a redo at the Super Bowl against the Giants because they were so good. At some point, it's sports. You have to hold a team accountable for losing. But I think, I think it'll be interesting because I think they do get tested. But I don't, I, I think it's LSU. Like, I think that's the only opportunity. Only Auburn has just been atrocious this year. Yeah. So I, I don't Stidham's think Stidham's really not taking that next step. I mean, I think he's hurt well, himself too, looking at oh, next year's NFL sure. draft. But I think their run game and offensive line has been atrocious. And I think Gus Malzahn's system has been exposed a little bit too. And I think you saw the impact of Carry on Johnson on that system with him being gone, mm-hmm. the difference he made at the running back position, because I don't think you get too deep in progressions in, in Auburn's offensive system. I think it's, if the run game is clicking, you can call a lot of play action. You get a guy wide open and you hit him. If he's not there, you can run it. And Jared Stidham doesn't have that next level run speed. No. Like you had with Nick, Nar- uh, Nick Marshall or Cam Newton. Cam Newton, yeah. And so your offense kind of gets exposed. So it's a little bit of a mess there in Auburn is, but they did get back on track versus Ole Miss. But I, I agree with you. If, if, if LSU is a two touchdown underdog, it'll probably be a three touchdown underdog for, uh, for Auburn in that situation. You know who did get tested? Ohio State, the Buckeyes. They go to Purdue and get handed to them. Uh, Rondell Moore is one of the most exciting players in college football. The dude, I think he's college football's, uh, version of Tyreek Hill. Like when you see a speed that's different, that's just better than everybody else, I think that's what you see. But here's what I don't understand, and we were talking about this a little bit during the break. So Ohio State's getting crushed for this loss. They dropped nine spots in the AP poll. I think Purdue's a pretty good team. Yeah. And because of their perception, this is where I think the SEC does have an advantage. Is any loss in the SEC you're like, oh, that's more part of the gauntlet. I think Purdue is a good football team. I, think I don't think that's a horrible loss. No, it's not a horrible loss. A night game on the road versus Purdue. Been there, done that, played against them. That's a tough environment to play in. And look, Ohio State right now is struggling um, through, you know, with, with the changes on defense from losing all those players to the NFL over the past couple years. Eventually that was going to come back to bite them. Well, it just showed up on the road versus a good Purdue team. I also feel like their offensive line hasn't played as well as maybe they look or maybe as people had talked about they would coming into the season. But one thing is for sure, don't put this on Dwayne Haskins. No. They may have thrown the ball 72 times, whatever it was the other night. He's been, he's, he's been pretty phenomenal. There was a number of drops. They haven't run the football effectively. The protection hasn't been great for him. And then the defense has given up a ton of big plays. And the one thing you've got to be able to do if you play defense, tackle. It sounds simple, but man, they make it look hard. But going back to the conversation about Purdue and just even the loss in general, there's a lot of competition in the Big Ten. I mean, you go back and you look at the Northwesterns, the Wisconsins. I feel like a lot of those teams could go and beat almost any team in any conference. Like, they've got that ability, and it's that style of play, that mixture of kind of toughness, grit, good good defense for the most part, and good coaching. Like, that's the wild card of the Big Ten. I think there's great coaching. I think Jeff Brom is one of the most underrated head coaches in college football. I wouldn't be shocked if an NFL team or two didn't talk to him at least, only because he does have that NFL pedigree where he's played before. He understands that game. And look at what he's done everywhere he's gone from Western Kentucky now to Purdue. There are, Purdue also is really close to being undefeated. They had some really tough losses early. Lost to Northwestern early Northwestern by what, four? early by four. Uh, Eastern Michigan, that was kind of a crazy one, 20-19. And they could have beat Missouri in a 40-37 game. So they're good. The other thing, I, I, I liked Purdue versus the number. I think it was around 12 and a half, 13. Yeah. I love them as a home dog in that situation. But when I watched the piece on game day that Tom Rinaldi did on Tyler Trent, I was like, this is something special. And sometimes when you get college guys and they're playing for something bigger than the game itself, I thought the story with Tyler Trent was a meaningful 
enough to that team where they were going to rally around something special. I was like, uh-oh, this Purdue team is not to be messed with tonight, and it played out. It was really cool to see Tyler Trent in the locker room after him. I think it's really special what Jeff Brom has done for him, and I think it's amazing what he's doing as an inspiration, a story of faith, fighting his battle that he is with the kind of courage that he's shown so far. It's an incredible story. People don't understand what kind of impact, you know, those, you know, those stories and, yep. and those sort of people have on athletes and just, you know, being able to, you know, look at their scenario and realize like how you could just bring a smile to their face and the impact it has on them and, and makes you want to play for something that much more. And I know it's, it's like, all right, do you really need that much more motivation to have the number two team come in the country? Yeah. Cause this, this is bigger than football. Um, but getting back to Ohio State, there's a, the first question is, do you think they can bounce back from this and be a one loss Big Ten champion, uh, and make the college football playoff? I personally do. I just think they have to make a lot of changes moving forward. And I also think that they are maybe a, a product right now of a lot of four star and five star guys yes. who are now talented, but they don't have that same type of backbone or grit and the same type of things that I think Ohio State was built on when Urban Meyer won in 2014, and you had a lot of those Ohio kids who have meant more to play at Ohio State. Now they're recruiting out of state because these kids are more ready to play who come from the South who have spring ball, not like that up north in the Midwest. That's changed, I think, the culture a little bit of Ohio State right now. I don't want to pin this on him, but Nick Bosa deciding to go ahead and prepare for the NFL draft, I thought that send a little bit of a message to the mindset of a lot of guys in that locker room. If you're the team captain and you're willing to say, you know what, my NFL, and I don't blame him. Again, it's a lot of money. But I think that mindset is more pervasive in the locker room than we know the last couple years. I think there's more guys that are thinking, I want to get to the league than I want to win a championship. And that becomes really hard to win. See, but, but I think that still falls on the coaching staff because that's what sure. they're recruiting. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. what they're recruiting and that's what they tout. When you go there and you're looking at calling Ohio State game, you know what they do? They show you all those first round picks. Everyone else who's leaving going to the league, yep. they're showing that. And so it almost becomes more about, okay, I'm going to play here for three years or maybe I redshirt and only play for two, but I'm good enough and I bounce and go to the league. And I don't, it doesn't necessarily matter what I do with my team or how many championships we won. That's what I think impacts all of this is when you start focusing on Sundays, not Saturdays, then that's what impacts these decisions. So has been yelling for five minutes for us to break. So we're going to do that. We're going to preview Monday Night Football next off the bench. All right, let's finish it off with some leftovers. Let's do a little bit more college football because we didn't, we didn't get to hit on Michigan. Michigan, I think, is legit. I think Harbaugh has his best team yet. I think Ohio State is vulnerable. If you had me pick right now who wins the Big Ten, I'm going with Michigan. Um, I think I would. I, you could definitely make that case. Uh, and I said this to Braylon Edwards, who took a little bit of flack uh, early on this year. And I said to him, "Hey, man, just because they lost Notre Dame doesn't." Oh, that's right. He was anything. calling out everybody, right? Yeah. yeah. And and just yeah, because of that, I, I told him, I said, "Watching what happens at the end of the season." I was like, "This is a good football team." And I think the the position that you're probably most concerned with, people are going to say it's Shea Patterson. It wasn't. It was actually their offensive line. And I think they've really grown and kind of meshed together this year where they're giving them good protection. That's one of the reasons why Shea Patterson's been good. And the running game. When Higdon goes for 100 yards, they're undefeated. They have not lost a game when Karan and Higdon rushes for 100 yards. So to me, the growth of their offensive line has been the biggest thing. We knew their defense was going to be good. We knew Don Brown would be good. Now the next question becomes, can Jim Harbaugh get another win versus a good team in Penn State? That's coming up. And then can he beat Ohio State? I mean, those are the, those are the, are the boxes he's trying of, to you check. You saw off. Penn State, right? You were yeah. at Indiana. Are you that worried about them? Cause they didn't look great against Indiana's, they, Indiana's a team that's better than people yeah, think. That's true. That's true. I think they are too. But I were, I, I just don't know if Penn State is mindset where they are having at one time being a playoff caliber team. All of a sudden their season's kind of, but they'll be up for Michigan to try this to 
an eight win Michigan team last year. I don't think you, you don't have any gimmies right now on your schedule. The rest <laughs> That's of the way. a good point. Uh, Monday night football, we got the Falcons and the Giants going toe to toe. I think Matt, so before the season, I said Matt Ryan could win the MVP. The crazy thing is his numbers could be MVP wise because his team is garbage or his yeah. defenses. He's not going to get any look at all. Do you think the Giants have any chance in this game? Of course. Been a complete mess. I think the Giants always have a chance because the roster's so talented. And even though they've been terrible this year, it only takes that one performance, that one game on primetime where Odo Beckham goes off, Saquon Barkley has a big game, and then Eli Manning actually starts to play like maybe what we saw a couple years ago when he had one of his better seasons. So uh, I think they've got a shot. They've got a chance. I just I don't know that their defense is good enough to be able to hold down this Falcons offense. Do you think Julio Jones gets a touchdown? Yes, yes. You do. You think he Finally, gets off the I side. think it happens tonight. I don't know that everybody's focusing on him in the red zone. Calvin Ridley gets to go off. I think that's your plan. I think they move him around a little bit to make that happen too. They better. If they, they gotta do something. To touchdown. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he is doing great from like the twenty. He's been incredible. 20. Yeah, he's great from there. But uh, you want a little bit of love. You want to get a touchdown yeah. thrown in there at some something. point, or else he's gonna go delete his Instagram <laughs> or do whatever he does when he gets upset with the Falcons. <laughs> All right, we're back tomorrow. Rajas back. Thanks for Brady for filling in. Thanks for checking us out. <laughs>